Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. We're in this series called The World is Watching. And the last time I was up here before y'all, I tried to remember all the things in the series and memory got the best of me, so I'm not going to do that. But I will tell you that the world is watching what we believe. The world is watching how we handle criticism. The world is watching to see how we respond to these things. Because do we respond to the things that are going around us in fear, trepidation, unbelief? Or do we say, no, Jesus, you're still on the throne. I told somebody this week, I said, man, dude, you're all caught up in the wrong office. I said, you're all caught up in who's in the Oval Office, and I'm still establishing who's on the throne. You know, um, I do this every time I'm on stage because I love what this guy spits out. But he said, I, I, I don't follow a concept, I worship a king. Uh, a friend of mine wrote those lines. That I don't follow a concept. Government is a concept. I follow a king. I'm part of a kingdom, and I sit inside of a government. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's kind of like a, whenever the U.K. or United States will have a commonwealth. It's part of a kingdom, you know? And that's the way I see that. So the world is watching. Well, what, what, what am I going to be talking about today? I'm going to be coming to you out of Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And for those of you who are not familiar, this is the place in Scripture where Jesus is tempted. Wait a second, dude, do you realize what Sunday this is? It's Palm Sunday, and you're going to talk about Jesus in the desert. Pause, just give me a second. I'll get there. I'll get there. we got to set some foundations first. So in Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version, also known as the Charismatic Long-Winded Version. And um, in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Stop. <laughs> okay, you, you caught that, right? It doesn't say that he just kind of wandered around and found himself there. It says that the Holy Spirit led him to the desert to be tempted. James kind of supports this whenever he says, don't say that the Lord tempts you. Right? See, but why would the Holy Spirit lead him? to the wilderness to be tempted. You got to read the rest of the chapter. Remember, I'm not about cliches. I'm about context. And if you flip over a few verses later in verse 12, it says, Jesus begins his ministry. See, he had to be tempted. He had to be tested. He had to be fortified before he entered into his ministry. So he was led by the spirit into the desert. Why? Because nobody else would be there. Wait, this is the world is watching. I'll get there. See, because before the world watches, you have private battles that you have to fight. See, there's battles you're going to fight whenever nobody else is around. And what God the Father was establishing and God the Son through God the Holy Spirit, get with me. All three of them are here right there in this verse. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Well, the Son doesn't do anything unless the Father first tells him and shows him, right? So, all three of them are in that first verse. Because the Holy Spirit at that time was only at the command of God because he had not come down and embodied us yet. So this, the Holy Spirit at this point in time was something that only God released and brought back, released and God got back. If you don't, if you don't understand that, read the, the thing on Samson where it says the Spirit of God came on him and then he whipped the Philistines. So, I mean, there's, there, in, every time in the Old Testament it says, and the Spirit of God came on it wasn't embodied. It just came on and left, came on and left, came on and left. And we're still in that season of it coming on. Verse 2. After he had gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. Do what? After 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. Do you got 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus in your tank? So that whenever that 41st day comes, you come up hungry, or are you going to be hungry at day two, day three, day, hour three, hour two? You feel what I'm saying here? Like, like when God calls you to something, God calls you through it too. 
See, he had to, see, Jesus went back and told the disciples time and time, time again, but there's one instance where he says, and these things can only be accomplished through fasting and praying. Jesus never said if you fast and pray. He said when you fast and pray. Because it was a lifestyle to him. It was something that he knew. And so after being led by the Spirit, see, when you're led by the Spirit, you can do things nobody else will do. Moses, he, he did two supernatural fasts of 40 days up on Mount Sinai, back to back, because he went up, came down, got mad, went back up, and came back down. So, I mean, it was almost like 80, 85 days he went without food, supernaturally, because he's being fed by the Spirit of God. You feel what I'm saying? And so, verse 3 And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus replied, it is written and forever remains written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Verse 5. But then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and placed him on the pinnacle, the highest point of the temple. And he said mockingly to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to serve, care for, protect, and watch over you, and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against any stone. Verse 7, Jesus continued and said to him, on the other hand, it is written and forever remains written, you shall not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory, splendor, magnificence, and excellence of them. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will just fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written and forever remains written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came to minister to him, bringing him food and serving him. And then the next little subheading is Jesus begins his ministry. So check this out. The world is watching to see how we respond to temptation. Every day, I find out people are watching that I don't know are watching. And I position myself in a place that whenever they come to me and they say things, I have to receive it because they saw it. So if I act out of the character of Christ, then I'm not reflecting the character of Christ. So I don't look like Christ to them. So if, I, if they see me respond to temptation the wrong way, then what does that say about my testimony? And so I want to tell you about how temptation attacks you in three ways. And we see it right here. So the first way that temptation attacks you is our flesh is challenged by our hunger. See, in this scripture, he says, hey, take these stones and turn them to bread. What are you hungry for? See, we, we use this word flesh. We throw this word flesh around a lot. And, and our flesh, up until Paul wrote, literally meant flesh, like the skin of an animal, the meat of an animal. But your flesh is always going to be challenged by what you're hungry for. So, Whenever I read in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, it says, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Then that sounds like something I should be hungry for because I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed? I mean, it's going to take a while for this to develop, but I need y'all to stay with me early because if you don't, I'll get sleepy and then we'll all fall asleep, okay? So this idea of flesh, right? Paul, whenever he writes about it, he says that it's the uniquely Pauline understanding that begins from the idea that flesh is a weak gateway to sin. And if, if you want to read more about this, go to Romans 8, okay? Romans 8, he really, he really fleshes this out for you, okay? He really does talk about the flesh being a gateway to sin. What, what you, whenever you hear somebody say flesh, I don't know about y'all, but I immediately go to the lust of the eyes. Oh, they're in the flesh. How many, how, can I, we, how many church people we got in here that understand what I'm saying when I say, oh, they just acting in the flesh? Well, for those who aren't church people, I'm going to explain that. It's kind of lewd, lascivious behavior. It's, it's, very, it's very fleshy. So in other words, that means that I'm acting in my own. I'm not, I'm not relying on the Spirit of God. This is, this is the part of me that's me. That's the selfish, fallen part of me. Does that make sense? So, so like we're, we're spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body, right? The body is the flesh part. That's the part that rots and goes away. That's the part that's going to d- d- go, just be gone one day from us, and all that's going to be left is our spirit and our soul. And so in this place where he says, 
uh, verse 3 of uh, Romans 8. He goes, for the law could not, that is, overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power, being weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit. I want you to catch that definition of the flesh. Flesh is man's nature without Holy Spirit operating. And so we see Jesus being tempted in this way because he's hungry. Now, it took 40 days for him to get hungry, but he was hungry. And the enemy knows what you're hungry for. That's better than y'all let on right there. The enemy knows what you're hungry for. I'll take it a step further. The enemy knows what your father was hungry for. The enemy knows what your grandfather was hungry for. And your great-grandfather and the one before them and the one before them. And ladies, you're not left out because they know what your mama's all about too. And your grandmother and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't have to walk in a curse, but I do walk in some things that are hereditary. That can be learned. There's generational learned behaviors as well. See, um, no shade, but I could have learned how to be a horrible dad and father if I would have followed the examples that were put before me. But there was something birthed inside of me that said, no, I'm going to do something different because I want to be there for my kids and I want to have a wife I love forever. I like that point. And I was, this morning I was, I was watching this, uh, I was reading on Facebook, right? And um, it was talking about this uh, meteorologist up in Maryland. And he's in the middle of a tornado warning broadcast. And this cat says, whoop, hey, 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 listen, buddy, listen. He's on his phone to his kid. Hey, buddy, hey, hey, I need you to go and get your, do- your sister. And I need you to get downstairs and go into the bedroom and stay there for 10 or 15 minutes, okay, buddy? I need you to do it, okay? Okay, do it right now. Do it right now. I'm sorry, folks, but I knew that my kids wouldn't be watching their dad on TV. They'd be gaming or being online. So I needed to call them because I needed my kids to get to safety. I'm just telling you that because I'm hungry to be a good dad. I'm hungry to be a good husband. I'm hungry to show love to the world. Those are the things I'm really hungry for. Because, see, I got one message now, and it's Jesus, and his covenant is love. One message, Jesus, and his covenant is love. And you need to get that. That there's one message, Jesus. One way, Jesus. And the covenant that he has with us is love. And I I, I had to drive that home because I don't think people understand that that's it. And so when my flesh is coming against me, man, my flesh has come against me so bad this week. I mean, my flesh came against me like I didn't feel good and I was just run down. My flesh came against me. I had an idiot driver in front of me. My flesh came against me, man. I was the idiot driver. My flesh came against me like I just, I'm aggravated with you. My flesh came against me. I'm aggravated with me. You ever been restless for no reason? That's your flesh. And so the enemy knows what you're hungry for, what's going to satisfy you. He knows what's going to sate that hunger inside of you. And so guess what he puts in front of you time and time and time and time again. Got an anger issue? Look for opportunities to show that you have self-control. We, um, we've developed this saying um, that we're going to um, adopt in our organization. and Because difficult people, we talked about difficult people a, a few weeks ago, right? And we're going to say that you have a unique opportunity for an extra amount of grace. And I am the person to deliver that grace to you. You have a unique opportunity for an extra portion of grace. And I am the one is to be the one who serves you that grace. What if we took that whenever we just totally want to explode? You know, I'll tell you what happens. It totally destroys the devices of the enemy. Because it goes so counter to what we want to do. What we want to do is just grab something and start going WWE on it and smashing chairs over people's backs and going crazy. And the reason why I'm saying it is because in our, inside our, our imaginations, inside our imaginations, we can totally see stuff. Hey, uh, am I the only one who's ever pictured going into a business where they give you a hard time and you just want to level it? 
Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm just being real because, like I said, I've been battling this this week. And so whenever you're battling, your, whenever your flesh is going to be tempted, it's going to be tempted by what you're hungry for. And so if you're hungry for Jesus, your flesh eventually is going to come into submission. See, remember, you are spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. The spirit is at the top of it. The body's at the bottom. But the problem is, is we flip it. Don't believe me? Let everybody know you're about to go on a fast. I'll give you an easy one. Let everybody know you're going to go on one of the easy fast. Like a Daniel's fast, so you still get to eat. Or you're going to give up soft drinks. Or Lord Jesus, give up your phone for a while. And you see how immediately your flesh starts crying out. Starts crying out. We sing this song. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. You are like water to my soul. David, at one time, he said, man, how I long for the waters from the wells. And his men, like, went literally, like, 60 miles into enemy camp to bring him a drink of water because he was just so thirsty for that particular well's water. You know the, uh, the, the, the tradition we have of pouring out some for our homies? If y'all don't know, you take a drink of something, you pour a little bit out for your dead homies or whatever. But David did that first because he said, there's no way I can receive this. I'm going to pour this out as a drink offering before God. That's being thirsty and hungry for something. So much, this is so good to me anyway, that the people around you understand your thirst and hunger and they help you accomplish what will save it. That's cool. Because that's what the kingdom's supposed to look like. If Brian's hungry and thirsty for something and it's of God, I agree in my heart with whatever God's putting a yes in his heart for. So that we can stand in agreement and then whatever he's hungry or thirsty for, I want to I be part of making that happen. Because that's, that's what we're called to do is operate in love and charity to one another to help each other accomplish the thing. We're, we, all, we all end up with the same amount when we die. Nothing. So we need to work together to make this happen. The second way that temptation comes is it attacks our identity through our confidence. So you see this with Jesus here in this temptation. He says, takes him up to the top. And he says, jump if you're really God. Because, and then he comes to him with scripture, because don't think the enemy don't know scripture and won't use scripture against you to get you all twisted. Context, baby, context, context. That's the reason why you need to know the context of the scriptures, because people will flip scriptures on you. Trust me, tattoos, Leviticus 19, I've had it my entire life, until I start talking about crawfish, lobsters, and polyester pants. And then people figure out, same chapter, better shut my mouth. Just telling you. Don't take one scripture to use it against somebody else if you don't want a scripture from the same chapter to be tossed at you. That's how Pharisaical nature works, and we need to get out of that. It's not a, it's not a contest to see who knows more scriptures. It's, it's a contest just to see who can love Jesus the most. And whenever I love Jesus the most, then I love people the way I should. And so he's up on the top of this pinnacle of the temple. Okay, check it. He's at the temple. He says, jump down, or let me toss you down. Angels will come get you if you're confident in who you are. If you're confident, what, you don't believe God's going to come through? What, you don't believe he's going to get your back? And what does Jesus come back? So he says, he quotes Psalms 91 to him. The devil quotes Psalms 91 to Jesus. And Jesus comes back with Deuteronomy 6.16. For it is written and forever remains written, you shall not test the Lord your God. See, he's like, you can't come against my identity, Jack. Don't test me. I'm God. What if we took that position because we're joint heirs with Christ, grafted into the vine and have the same place as Jesus, and we looked at him and said, look, don't come against me, Jack. I've got the authority, the identity as a son of God. A daughter of God. I, you're a daughter of Zion. I'm an oak of righteousness. Get off of me. See, I'm in the place where I've made up my mind that he'll never steal my confidence in the Lord ever again. So I don't care if you care that I care. I don't care if you care that I care. 
because he cares that I care, and that's all that matters. So I can be confident in who I am. I don't, I don't have to say, look, and feel like everyone else does. I can be confident in my identity that I'm a son. See, because I walked around my entire life a son who didn't know a dad. I walked around my entire life not knowing that there's an authority that comes when you're a son. See, if you walk around your entire life not having a dad, then you don't realize the, uh, um, the power that comes when you have a dad. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, we were in CC Pizza's over in D'Iberville whenever I was picking up Camille. Now, I had went into CC's previously, and I had eaten lunch. That is determined. That, that makes me a, a customer. My daughter shows up, and she needs to re- use the restroom. And they're like, hey, no, this is for customers only. Oh, no, you don't understand. She sits underneath my identity. She's the daughter of Alan. She can go use that bathroom because I just paid. I'm a customer. And whatever my identity is, it's hers as well. I'm going to say that slower for the folks that went to Robberstale like me. My identity is his identity. Her identity is my identity. See, because that's why whenever you see son of none for, John, for Joshua, he was the son of a dude named Nun. Well, she is daughter of Alan. And so when she walks into CC, I know this is a stretch, but y'all got to get with me, okay? When she walks in there, she carries my identity. Yeah, because you can imagine what that conversation looked like whenever they told her she couldn't use the bathroom. Oh, no, yes, yeah, she can't. Go ahead. Y'all go on back. Don't even worry about what these people are saying. Go use that bathroom. Because I know I paid nine eighty seven to eat here. You go use that bathroom. Because I didn't get my nine eighty seven worth of pizza, so you go get my nine eighty seven of bathroom. But an identity, an identity is the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. I would say I have a unique identity in the kingdom. I'm a self-professing fire breather. You know what a big target that puts on my chest some days? Every day? And it's cool because I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm okay with my scars. I'm okay with battle ones. I don't run away from the battle. Anytime a sword hits me in battle and it cuts me, I just say, hey, there's another testimony. You don't get any testimonies unless you've been tested. Now, I'm not all sunshines, rainbows, and lollipops, and ponies in the park, okay? I hate going through it. I'm complaining the whole time. I'm Jonah in Nineveh. Don't get me wrong. But it's the long game, right? Drive for show, putt for dough. It's the long game. You got to be good at one or you're never going to be good at golf. And so, well, Master's Weekend, I just thought I'd tie in. And, but the thing about it is, is I have to know who I am. Do you know who you are? Like, you ever walked into a situation where you might have let your mouth write some checks that you couldn't cash? And people say, who do you think you are? I am a child of the uncreated God, of the Most High King. I am a child of my papa in heaven. And if you mess with me, he going to come get you. Because I know who my daddy is. And I know who my identity is. See, when we struggle with our identity, we struggle with other people's identities. See, whenever I don't know who I am, I want to tear Harold up so I feel better about myself. Whenever I'm not comfortable with my identity in the kingdom, I start punching holes in every mega pastor because I want what they got. Whenever I'm uncomfortable with my identity, I don't say it, but I covet other people's ministries. Whenever I'm not confident in my identity, I start looking for people to assure me in all the wrong places. Why do you think the bars are full on Fridays and Saturday nights? Because they're getting liquid affirmation every time they order around. Is that okay to say in the church right now? That... People are looking for identity and they're not finding it. Why? Because we get caught up in our mess and we don't realize whenever somebody. And so what do we say whenever people are not sure about which way their life is going? Oh, I'm having an identity crisis. There's a whole generation that's having an identity crisis. 
And if you're watching this and you're having an identity crisis, I'm not saying this in a negative connotation. I'm saying I'm here to help you in love define what your identity is in Christ. And we all should be fueled that way. Our identity is challenged by what we're confident in. The last thing is, is our authority. He challenged his authority. He said, took him up to a high mountain and said, if you'll only bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you see. All the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus, you know, being Jesus, he drops the bomb on him. And what does he say? He says, um, go away, Satan. He's like, man, dude, I am tired of messing around with you. You going to question my authority telling me to bow down? <laughs> That's funny, cat. Get out of here. Like, Jesus didn't make no production. He didn't say, oh, come on now. I need to do a, a circle dance and a... F Go. Go. Do you know it's that simple? Do you know it's that simple? Oh, it's not. Oh, well, you're right. It's not because of the identity and flesh issue. We don't know who we are, so we don't speak in authority. We get in our flesh and we have all these doubts, flesh, doubts. It destroys our identity and we don't speak in authority. That's the way he works. If he can't get you one way, he goes to another. If he can't get you that way, he goes to another. And so Jesus, he just says, get out of here. Because you're only supposed to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And what is he doing? He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. Remember I told you the last time we were together. When the Pharisees came to him, he quoted the Shema. Well, what's he doing? <laughs> He's quoting part of the Shema. You see, you don't have to do different things because the same things work with the same enemy. Do you understand? Stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Go away. Resist the devil and he will flee. There's these simple things that are outlined in scripture that if you'll just do, they can give you a strategy so that you can have victories on the battlefield. Well, that's all great, Alan. Okay, so our flesh is challenged by our hunger. So whatever you're hungry for, whatever your deepest desires are, that's what he's going to come after. Our identity by challenging our confidence. I get that. And then our authority by challenging our faith. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what it says. And then Jesus says what? He says, well, if you have faith, you can move mountains. We'll get to that later. So, faith is a real big part of our authority because, like, let's say I'm a cop. Okay? Now, there's two devices that a cop has. They got the Badge or shield, right? And then they got old trusty. And if you're Barney, your bullet's up here. But they've got their gun. The badge is for people who get authority. The gun is for the people who don't. So whenever I walk in to a room... And I'm sealed by the Spirit of God. The demons that flee are the lucky ones. Because I'm about to whoop some demon tail. And I'm not joking. I ain't scared of it. I ain't worried about it. See, whenever you walk into a voodoo doctor's house on a mountain in Haiti... And you pull a dying baby out, and that voodoo doctor, priest, is cursing you the entire way, and speaking negatively, and is literally speaking your death, you better be really, really sure of your authority. You better know what your identity is, and you better have no flesh issues. Because in Haiti, there's three main spirits that work. Lust, hate, 
<laughs> and hate is the spirit of murder. I need y'all to know that. And confusion. Those three things operate. And so if you have any kind of weaknesses, it comes. Depression, man, it hits every person who comes out of Haiti who goes in for a missions trip at some point. Because it's just the way it is. It sits on you. It rests on you. It's so dark. And there's all those pockets of light over there. But there's a spiritual oppression there. And if you don't know the authority you walk in, man, it's going to chew you up and spit you out. And so whenever I say that I have faith in my authority, it's because I've been trained. It's because of my experience. As Brian was telling me this morning, it comes from my body of knowledge. See, I, I look down and I see these scars on my hands. And like I have one down here on my thumb. And I know exactly where that scar happened. Camp AP Hill, Pennsylvania, in the Army, SSTC, trying to make a pace counter. Burned 550 cord. Nylon fell down on my hand. Gave me a second degree burn. I know exactly where I got that scar and why. See, we, we, we don't want to be scarred. We don't want to be scarred. But I'm going to tell you right now, your scars help you remember all these temptations and how to battle them. They really do. I mean, you know, the only man-made thing in heaven is the scars on Jesus. He kept them. For the same reason that he allows us to keep them. Reminders. Or as they say in the Old Testament, we stack up 12 stones as a remembrance, as an altar, as a place of worship. See, I can look at the scars in my life spiritually and I can worship God for pulling me through it. What if we looked at our scars that way instead of being something so negative? And so now I, I need to tie this back in because it's Palm Sunday. Yeah. And so what I was going to do here is I was going to have some wrestling entrance theme music because I like wrestling. I do. Y'all don't have to like that I like that, but I do. Because that's what Jesus had whenever he came into Jerusalem. See, you don't get it. The whole city's going crazy because he's coming into town, and they're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing it. And he's coming down. See, y'all not feeling this. See, this is like him coming down the aisle for a match because in a week he's about to wrestle with Satan. So this is his entrance theme. Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing this psalm of David, and Jesus is on his donkey. Actually, on somebody else's. Right? He's coming into town, and I can only think of, had it been me. Had it been me. Because if had it been me, I probably would have took the crown. Because my flesh. Right? So let's read this in 21. So in 21... The triumphant entry. And I'm not going to go through all this, but I want you to know we're coming out of. So in Matthew 21, 1 through 10, this is all about Jesus entering into a triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem. And I'm going to start um, right into uh, verse 6. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt to the place that closed on them. And Jesus sat on the coats. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their coats on the road as before a king, while others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them over the road. So I want to give you kind of what this is. This is like whenever in the olden days, a man and a lady would be walking across the street and then he takes his coat off and he puts it over a puddle. It's honor. I don't, I don't want your feet to get dirty. I don't want you to have any kind of difficulties getting to wherever you're going. Think of the Oscars. They roll out the red carpet. Jerusalem rolled out the red carpet. They rolled out this extravagant gesture to say, that's my king. And so they laid it out and they said, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Messiah. Blessed, praised, glorified is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was trembling with excitement, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, And that's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So here's Jesus in his moment in Jerusalem, right? And the world is now watching to see how Jesus would respond to temptation. But I'm going to dial this in a little bit more focused. The enemy was watching to see how Jesus would respond to temptation. Because, see, it didn't matter who the Pharisees said Jesus was. It didn't matter who the disciples knew he was. Since he was created, Satan knew the reality of Jesus. And he knew that how he responded in this situation would determine what happened in his. And so here we find that when we hunger for God's will, we defeat our weak flesh. Remember, what does it always come against? Your hunger. So if I want to defeat these temptations of my flesh... I got a hunger for the things of God. I've got a hunger for the things that are righteous. Or as a writer put it, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, dwell on these things. In other words, I got to keep my mindset right so that whenever I get hungry, I hunger for the right things and not the wrong things. Okay, so um, about two or three years ago, I guess now, um, I dropped about 50 pounds. I was 275, 265. It went up and down depending on how much time I spent in Haiti. But I was not like this. I, was, I had more weight on me. And so we did this um, thing from the pit of hell called keto. And um, I dropped 50 pounds. I never knew the weight I was carrying in until I dropped it. I look at pictures now from like 2016 whenever I was in Haiti. And I'm like, how did I ever get up that mountain? One mountain I almost didn't get up. <laughs> my first trip in. But praise God for conditioning, right? That's those scars. <laughs> and so, once I got hungry for the things that were good for my body, that would do the things that my goals were, it started to go away. When you start making these hard choices in life to follow Jesus and fall more in love with him than yourself, it's going to cry out. Fellas, whenever that urge comes to go to www.shouldn'tbehere.com, what are you hungry for? Because it ain't that, it's intimacy, it's connection. That's what you're really hungry for, but you substitute because you can't get what you really desire. Ladies, you're not left out. But when that little desire comes up to step out of line what God's told you he wants you to be. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it's not what you want to do. Because it's inconvenient. Because it might make you have to wake up 30 minutes earlier or go to bed 30 minutes later. That's your flesh. See, I want to be hungry for what he's hungry for. And so, if we will get into the place where we focus on this, and here's Jesus walking in the city. He's riding on the donkey. And man, the crowd's going crazy for him. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Dude, you're the illest. Dude, you're the best. We love you. You're awesome. Blah, 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 blah. You know why Jesus didn't get caught up in all that? Because he knew his kingdom was never to be established here like that. See, he already knew that his kingdom had been established since the foundations of the earth. He was looking at around like these Romans. He's like, y'all only been around a minute, man. I've been around forever. I ain't worried about y'all. 
take this flesh because the Spirit's going to live. And so he's hungry for what God wants. Because think about it. For three years, he's been kicking it around Israel. For three years, he's been going around building his disciples, doing what it is that he was there to do to establish his church. And all he met was criticism from the church, criticism from the church, criticism from the church, criticism from his church, from his people, from the very people he was called to save. He got nothing but slack. Do not be weary and well-doing. See, these aren't just little things we throw around. Jesus went through all of that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus as he's coming into the realization of who he is and the fullness of who he is because fully man, fully God, fully man, fully God. I don't understand how it works, but it did. He's coming into this realization and then he's realizing, oh man, that's my bride. Dude, seriously? Man, I got to do so much work here. That wasn't the way he was at all, was it? He wasn't that way at all. He wasn't that way at all because he knew the religious people weren't his bride. He realized that, that they were going to have to change a heart. Nicodemus, you cannot get this unless you're born again. Well, how do I do this in my religious mind? Do I go back up into my mom's womb? No. But you have to be born again. See, it was, it, the, there are so many things that if, you, if you're in a place of religion, you can't catch in the spirit. There's things that only God speaks in the spirit. He won't speak to you in religion. And I had to explain this concept to Camille actually yesterday on the ride. There's a difference between being religious and being spiritual. Or spirit-filled. And we need to recognize and operate in that. And so whenever he's coming down, it would have been real easy for him to take the hard left turn and say, hey, yeah, let's, go, let's go throw Pilate out, and let's go find Herod. Man, and let's overthrow it, because we don't like the way it's turning out. We're not called to do that. We're not called to do that. I'm going to just let you know, we're not called to do that at all. We're called to pray and believe and know what God is doing in that season. Because all authority, remember that word all? Which means all comes from God. And it even goes on to explain even the, the ones that you can't stand and who are evil and who are repulsive, that comes from him too. If you don't believe me, look at, look at Cyrus. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Look at all these naft kings who kept coming in that were evil in the Old Testament. And God used them to keep his people moving right along. See, there's this term called diaspora. And it's the up and down of life. It's the gathering and the spreading. Is what the, this is basically what the Jewish people believe they've do, going, going through their entire existence. Is that God gathers them together and then he disperses them. And he gathers them together and he disperses them. It's the highs and the lows of life. The highs and the lows as a people that we go in. There's times where we hit greatness and then there's times where we hit depressions. And we got to realize that's the cycle of life. And whenever you realize the cycles of your hunger, come on, stay with me. Whenever you realize that in certain seasons I'm hungry for different things, then you realize what's actually nourishing you in those seasons. Because, see, the nourishment I get down in the valley is totally different than the nourishment I get up on the mountain. It's a different type of vegetation. It's a different type of need. It's a different type of hunger. Are you with me? You feel what I'm saying? Because you need different things in different seasons. And so whenever I'm down here in the valley, I need something different to get me to the mountaintop. And whenever I'm on the mountaintop, it's a different type of view and experience for me. And so whatever I'm hungry for, well, that determines what my flesh is going to do. It determines if I'm going to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because flesh also is akin to fruit. 
Mm-hmm. Hit me in the spirit just then. The fruit of the spirit has flesh too. And it's positive life-giving flesh. So if I'm going to eat flesh, I think I want to eat the flesh of the fruit of the spirit. and Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I can make that fruit manifest in my life, then I hunger for that fruit. I hunger for that fruit. So you hunger for what you produce. Farmers, whenever it originally started, they only cultivated what was for their family. And then they let the widows and the orphans come glean. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go out in my field. I'm not going to have Brussels sprouts in my field. I ain't hungry for Brussels sprouts. Ain't going to be none of that stinky asparagus in there either. Ain't going to be no liver on my plate. Ain't going to be no onions. Ain't going to be no fishy fish. I ain't about any of that. And more and more, I'm not eating swine. Because it's just not appetizing anymore. It's different. It's just my taste. But I ain't going to go out and cultivate it. What are you cultivating in your garden that you don't want to eat? Mole back up. What are you cultivating in your garden of your life that you're hungry for? Because that's where it basically came because agriculture developed when we stopped being hunters and gatherers and all that other stuff, right? And and then it became about business. And then it no, no longer became about what you needed in your house. It was whatever you could produce to make the gains. And it flipped. But there was a time where I only produced what I was hungry for. Man, God, please let what I produce be what I hunger for, and let me hunger for you. I mean, for real. And so, the devil, in Matthew 4, he tried to throw Jesus from the temple. But Jesus threw the devil out of the temple in Matthew 21. See, because after Jesus comes in to all the Hosanna, Hosanna, guess where the next place he goes? It's to the temple. To restore his identity. And so our confidence restores our identity. So if, our, if, 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 if the enemy comes against us to attack our identity, or our confidence to destroy our identity, then the thing that establishes our identity is our confidence in who we are. And so if you look with me, 21 and 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out with force all who were buying and selling in the temple area. And he turned over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those who were selling doves. And Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. 14, this is the part we always miss. We always love to jump on the board, on the bandwagon with Jesus getting mad. But we don't ever continue to read, it says, and the blind and the lame came to him into the temple area, and they were healed. But the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful, miraculous things Jesus had done and heard the boys who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, and they became indignant, and they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus replied, have you never read out of the mouths of babes? Have I prepared and provided praise for myself? And he turned from them and went out of the city of Bethany. See, he didn't just come in and drive Satan out. He restored the confidence of the people in the temple. I love Jesus mad. I love mad Jesus. I used to have these pictures I would send out from Haiti because on the back of the tap taps, which are like these big buses that they drive, there's always a, picture, there's always a hand-painted picture of hippie Jesus. There's always a hand-painted picture of some Hippie Jesus. Whenever I say hippie Jesus, I'm talking about the long hair, the white nightgown, and the blue sash. And, he, and, and he's just... That's hippie Jesus. But I like mad Jesus. Because he's mad in righteousness. He's angry about what makes God angry. And he's only going after people who don't get it. Because see, the people who do get it, what is he saying? Hey, this place is supposed to be a hospital. Come on. This is supposed to be a hospital. These people, they're not, they're not sick, except, you know, 
Come on. Let's get you healed. See, because that's what it was supposed to be. He said, you've made it a den of robbers. And then he had to come in. He restored confidence in the identity of the temple. See, God wants to restore your confidence in your identity this morning. He wants to take these messed up, jacked up thoughts that you have about your identity and say, no, that's not the reality of who you are. This is it. This is who you are. This is who I say you are. You are who I say that you are. And we don't. We don't catch it. We don't catch it. It's like my beautiful wife. I will lavish her from the moment she wakes up. Man, girl, you fine. I love you. You're so awesome. Beautiful, girl. Man, I'm so glad God gave you to me. I'm not joking. I'm just as sappy and real person as I am on Facebook. I love that woman. And I lavish it on her. And she's like, will you please stop that? She's covering her face and going to the bathroom because she hasn't even done anything. I was like, you don't understand. Like, I see all of you and I love you. You're beautiful to me. And that's the way he looks at us. See, we're his bride. And so he's looking at us whenever our hair is going the wrong way. And we, you know, and (laughs) like this morning, she said, make sure you fix your hair before you go to church. I will. But he looks at us and he calls us lovely. You know you're lovely? That your identity to him is lovely? Dudes, it's okay for us to be lovely. I'm lovely to him. That's awesome, man. Like, like I, I get geeky about that. Because I love whenever he just pours his love out and it gets messy. And that's the way love should be. And that's the way our identity in him is. I mean, if you don't take anything out of this, know that he's got your back. And you can be confident in that. Through the highs, through the lows, he's got you. And your identity is what he says about you. Not what you say about you. Not what mama says about you. Not what daddy said about you. Not what about those stupid kids at high school who bully you say about you, young person. Not what that teacher spoke into you and told you you wouldn't achieve. You have greatness inside of you. And you need to grab onto the identity of greatness in God. Because you are a son and a daughter and you are a joint heir with Christ. And if Jesus could do it, he even said it, this and more will you do. Do the this so you can get to the more. Your identity is not what the world tells you you are. It's not what your mind tells you you are. It's what God tells you you are. And I keep driving this home because I think that there are so many people in here that have an identity crisis. Because we walk around weak and timid and scared. Sylacauga, Alabama, 2007-8-ish, right before I came here to be a children and youth pastor, we get called to this lady's house because she's ready to submit her opioids for destruction. She's ready to make a big life change. And so we go, the lady's name was Barbara. And she brings, I'm not joking, a picnic, or as Yogi Bear would say, a picnic basket full of prescription drugs to us and hands it to us. And whenever she handed it to us, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that ain't all of them. I looked her square in the eye and I said, Barbara, do you have any more drugs in this house? And she goes over to her refrigerator. (laughs) I remember this like the day was yesterday. She pulls a box of Lucky Charms off the top of her refrigerator, pulls the bag out of the Lucky Charms, and dumps the rest of her pills in my hand. So we proceed to pray with her for breakthrough. (sighs) And as sure as I'm standing here, we get a manifestation of a demon in this woman. Her eyes and her pupils turn black. She starts scratching at her carpet before us. I mean, she's fluffing up her carpet. She's scratching so hard to try to get to me. 
to hurt me. And I'm just praying. And I'm praying, but in my mind, I'm saying, I got to call somebody. Man, I got to figure out, who, 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 how am I going to pray and call who I need to be here right now? And the same as God spoke to me and said, that ain't all them drugs. He spoke to me and said, you're the only one here. Okie dokie. And God gives me the name to call out the demon. I'm not joking. The TV turns on without anybody turning the TV on. The cat and the dog start going nuts. And the the dog actually defecates on her bed. And she gets sick to her stomach. She goes into her bathroom and she vomits this black tar stuff out of her. That had to be at least a gallon. It was just kept coming, kept coming. But whenever she flushed the toilet and came back out, her eyes had changed and her countenance had changed so much I didn't even recognize her. One, <laughs> that was Jesus. That was all about Jesus. But what I wanted to say was in that moment, it couldn't be about me. It had to be about him. And I had to be confident in my identity that he had my back. And that's, that's the moment the fire breather was born. That's the moment whenever I realized that I could have confidence in him and I didn't have to step out in timidity and it didn't matter what any of you thought about my story or my sermon because he defines me. And whenever he defines me, I walk into places I shouldn't be, say things I shouldn't say, and I walk out. I bring a five-gallon can of gas and a torch. I pour it out, set it, and I walk away and say, you figure it out. Because fire cleanses. I keep looking at Brian because we've been talking about fire for about three weeks. And it's, it's, it's wrecking me. It's wrecking me. And the third way that we battle temptation, our faith activates our authority. If you'll come on up, Steve. He walks out and in verse 18 of 21. Now, early in the morning, Jesus was coming back to the city, and he was hungry. Now, he went 40 days and 40 nights without food. And he wakes up in the morning, he's hungry. And he says, then it says, seeing a lone fig tree on the roadside, he went to it and found nothing but leaves on it. And he said, never again will fruit come from you. And at once, the tree withered. When the disciples saw it and they were astonished, they say, how is it that the fig tree is withered away all at once? And Jesus replied to them, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, if you have faith, personal trust and confidence in me and do not doubt or allow yourself to be drawn in two directions, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen if God wills it. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you will receive. He's coming out of the city. They're going to Bethany. He sees a fig tree. He's hungry. It doesn't produce. And he uses his authority. says, you're never going to produce fruit again. In faith. So you don't make statements like that unless you, especially with all your boys around, unless you know what's going to happen. When I speak, things happen because of the authority that's activated by the faith. And other places it says, if you have faith even the size of a mustard seed. Little bitty faith. You don't have to have a lot of faith. Just have little bitty faith. Little bitty faith can do big things. And so he speaks in authority to the fig tree. And the disciples see it. But that's not the end of this. See, he goes on. And then the very next section in my Bible says, authority challenged. And the Pharisees come. And they're questioning his authority and asking from where he gets it. And he asks them a question. He says, well, where did John get his authority to baptize? Did it come from heaven or earth? And they said, well, if we say heaven, then we'll recognize his authority. And if we say earth, the people will revolt. And so they said nothing. And Jesus said, since you don't know, I'm not telling you. See, (laughs) it's my faith. It's your faith that activates our authority. And it's not... hmm, anyone else's doubt in your authority see other people's doubt will corrupt your faith other people's doubt will shake your faith and thereby shake your authority why do we not just 
go out whenever somebody says they're sick and say, okay, well, let's, let's fix that right now. I mean, I literally would love to have the faith and the authority that God has given me to just walk into Thomas Hospital and say, okay, everybody up and out, get, go, go. Now, in Jesus' name, go. Man, I'd be on a hospital hit list. But can you imagine? Was it Peter and Paul? They're walking down the street. Their shadow hits people and they start hopping up. What if we walked in that kind of authority? Silver and, gun, I have, silver and gold, I have none, but what I give you, have, I'll give you freely. Boom. Faith bomb. Well, bringing this to a close, I want to give you an activate and apply. Look, the enemy came against Jesus until the very, very end. Jesus is on the cross. He's hung up there between two thieves. And this thief is saying, man, look, you, you, one guy's saying, he shouldn't even be up here. Shut your mouth. And the other guy's just throwing, just coming against his flesh, coming against his flesh, coming against his flesh. The whole ordeal is coming against his flesh. His flesh is ripped from his back. His physical flesh is ripped from Jesus' back. He's hanging on the cross between two thieves. And the Pharisees are down there saying, well, if you're the son of God, take yourself down off the cross. To the very end, Jesus was tempted. So don't think you won't be. But Jesus, walking into the deal, knew that he needed to have a plan. And so do you. So you need to create a battle plan for the areas of your life where you're tempted. Write it down and use it. Well, what does this look like for me? Three categories. Flesh, identity, authority. If you've got something to take notes with, I would tell you to go ahead and write this down because this is, this is going to be one of those things that if you'll go through this exercise, it'll change your life. Make three columns on a sheet of paper. Flesh, identity, authority. And then start writing out the things that's coming against you in those areas of your life. Men, write down your flesh issues. And it's not always having to do with some kind of perverse thought because anger is a flesh issue. Rage is a flesh issue. Depression is a flesh issue. That aggravation, it's, it's, you, you get into these, these things. And the reason why I say depression is a flesh issue because it gets on you and, and, and it makes your skin crawl. If, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Like whenever I get into deep depression, I can't get comfortable, I can't do anything. And the only thing I want to do is sleep or be away from people. That's what depression looks like for me. And it's all flesh. It's all me just satisfying whatever it is to get, the, to get myself into a place where I can just be dealt with. Your identity issues. For me, I had to forgive my dad. I had to forgive him and receive my identity as a son of God. And I couldn't do that until I let go of years and years and years and decades of hurt. And if you're watching, Dad, I love you. And Mom, I love you too. Because <laughs> I know she's watching. But it, that's whenever it all started unlocking. And that's whenever I started under, understanding grace. And that's whenever I started understanding mercy. And that's whenever I understand how much of that God had done for me. And it helped establish my identity. And then authority. I had to be confident in my identity. And then I had to have faith in my authority. God's calling each one of us to something. Do you have the faith to step out? Because in the natural, let's look at this whole picture of Peter on the water with Jesus. They're on the boat. They see what they think is a ghost on the water. And Jesus says, hey man, come on. Come out here where I'm at. 
come out here. I know the boat is where you're supposed to be according to the natural laws. But I want to call you out here to do something different. I want to call you out to your unique purpose. Two people I know that have walked on water. Jesus and Peter. What if God is calling you in this season to have faith in your authority to go and do something that no one else in history has done but Jesus? (laughs) What if God's calling you to start a revolution the way Jesus did? A revolution of love. A revolution where we restore people's identity and their authority. Because the flesh is just the shell we sit in. And if you can ever get to the spirit and soul issues, that flesh thing just goes away. Well, how's it that the song says? And the things of earth grow strangely dim. Man, I want the things of earth to just grow strangely dim. Sitting in that place and knowing who I am. So you're activating, the way you apply and activate this is, is I want you to sit down and do this. And married couples, here's a stretch. Ask your partner what your flesh identity and authority issues are. Because I bet you they can tell you. And they may pick up something that you don't see. Young person, ask your friend group. What do you see in me in these areas that maybe I need to improve on? Because at the end of the day, the message is Jesus. His covenant is love. And he does love you. And he wants to restore every single area of your life. But if you'll develop a battle plan, you'll be able to conquer these temptations of the flesh of your identity and authority. But you can't do it unless you have a plan and a strategy. Because I guarantee you, Your enemy moves about as a lion seeking those who he can kill, steal, and destroy. He's got a plan. Do you? 186 years ago, as I close now, a dude named Fanning was bringing support to the Alamo. And whenever he delayed, he got captured. And on Palm Sunday, 186 years ago, he requested that they didn't shoot him in the face, that he didn't tor- they didn't torture him, and there's, he had these three things that he requested. And Santa Ana did all three. He shot him in the face, threw him in a burn pile, disgraced him. And the reason why is because Fanning went into that situation without a plan. He didn't know a strategy for his enemy. He didn't realize how ruthless his enemy was. He didn't realize that whenever he surrendered, there would be no peace, there would only be death. I need to tell you, man, this is good. If you surrender, there will be no peace, there will only be death. You'll have parts of you that die that you'll never be able to restore if you surrender. But if you choose to have a plan for the battle, you'll win. You'll win, you'll win, you'll win. Because I already read the back of the book and it says we win. Know that. We win. And you can't win a battle unless you have a strategy. Amen?